and welcome to Heroes Prefer Crossbows, the podcast that doesn't come with home fries unless you ask. I'm Greg Smith. I'm Matt Smith. No, no relation. relation. In this episode, we're going to discuss Destiny 2 Warmind and summoning the inscrutable peak that is Dungeons and Dragons for the first time. Let's party. Hey, what are you what are you playing right now? Uh, I'm playing a lovely little game called Omen Sight by Spearhead Games. Uh, that came out earlier this week, which is according to my calendar, the 15th of May, 2018, and uh, it is available on PS4 and PC um, via Steam. Uh, if you have played Spearhead's previous game, which is called Stories: The Path of Destiny, you will be very much at home with Omen Sight. It is what they describe as a spiritual successor to Omen Sight. And I just did air quotes. Because <laughs> I, some, felt, I felt them. You felt them? Okay, good. I felt it, yeah. Um, so Omen Sight is a beautiful, uh, well-designed action-adventure hack and slash um, with combat that sort of remember, uh, resembles uh, the Arkham Batman series uh, or more recently the, God, the new God of War. Um, I've never played Arkham, and I probably should. The The Arkham series sort of serves as the combat backbone for a lot of games that have come out in the past few years, like mm. uh, Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War. Um, right, and the, those, are, those, are, those are fun. They're really fun, and those are games that borrow a lot from the Arkham series. It's a really, really good combat system, and there's probably a progenitor to all of that that I just don't know about. I would it all has a lineage. You could probably trace it back a decade. Yeah, um, but a really good arcade-style hack-and-slash game. Um, and this particular game has some RPG elements. You can customize your character to a certain extent. You level up and so forth. Um, but that's, that's just sort of the skeleton of the game. It's, it's really sort of a red wall. And if you don't know red wall, it's, it's a series from, I think, like the mid-'90s. It was big when I was in high school. Uh, red wall? I don't know that. It was it was all the rage when I was in like third or fourth grade, um, and it's it's basically a book series. It's a fantasy book series, um, starring anthropomorphic animals. Um, and I don't remember the plot of those series at all. It's been that long, but this is it's it's same sort of idea. You have mice, you have um, cats, you have bears, um, you have birds. Oh, it looks a little bit like Mouse Guard. Yeah. It's that's sort of a popular thing now. Uh, there's another game that just came out recently. It's called, I think, like Hoof and Horn, some kind of tactical game that similar style. I'm, I'm probably getting the name wrong. Um, it's sort of Redwall meets Majora's Mask meets a murder mystery. Um, I, go- I, go- I googled Hoof and Horn, and all I got is veterinary services. <laughs> I think I have that. Maybe it's Fang and Horn or something. I don't remember. It was something yeah, I saw at PAX on. like last year. I'll just go to the vet instead. It's fine. Anyway, Omen Sight is Redwall meets Majora's Mask meets Murder Mystery. Um, and it is a game that takes place um, in this fantasy world um, that's in the midst of a, of a war between two, uh, two competing, sort of a, a primary empire-esque. In, uh, uh, they actually are literally an empire with sort of a rebel faction, that sort of old trope. Um, mm-hmm. But behind that, it's the last day of the world. The world's about to end because this 
demon called Voden is about to destroy the world. And you play as this uh, character called the Harbinger, who, uh, according to legend, appears uh, at, the, at the end of times to try and stop the end of the world. And your nice. primary function in this game is to uh, solve a murder mystery that is the key to preventing the end of the world. And similar to Majora's <laughs> Mask, you, uh, as you complete each day and you can then restart the day. You travel back in time. And every time you travel, you go through the world, um, you learn a little bit more, you unravel pieces of the mystery, you uh, get closer and closer to defeating um, this evil entity that it's going to destroy the world. And you're sort of, literally there is an interface that allows you to sort of keep track of the clues you've uncovered and like the different actions of different characters and each day you follow you can choose which would of four characters who you can follow and influence their actions oh. to learn more about uh how certain events have transpired in the past and how they uh, might transpire during the course of that day that's interesting so it's very fun do um, you play as do you play as the one of the four characters you play as the harbinger who is sort of this voiceless um humanless entity um, oh, that's okay. trying to, to to solve this. So in that respect, it's similar to like being Go- Gordon Freeman in Half Life, and that you don't right. you, your his voice is your own voice, and you're you are yeah. more uh, you are sort of more in the more in the brain space of this silent print protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Who a very exactly like me in every way. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting take on murder mystery uh, with with a time travel element uh, thrown in, um, and a very very incredibly beautiful art style and also some really good voice acting um, oh, nice. so it's a lot of fun a lot of the reviews out there have called it repetitive because realistically there are only sort of four main areas in the game they're fairly large um, but you end up playing them over and over and over again because you are cycling this loop right. um, and it is repetitive to be to be technical about it, it's it's repetitive. You end up doing the same encounters over and over again, many many times. Actually, I'm not done with the game yet, but I'm, I think I'm pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same at, at the same time, that repetitiveness sort of appeals to my inner completionist, and I like the idea that I can kind of like take my time and like learn a little bit more about each environment every time, and not have to worry about oh, am I missing some cool piece of narrative content that I'm that you know. I may have skipped over in my eagerness to complete a level. Um, So I really enjoy that. And I sort of enjoy just like peeling back the layers of this mystery methodically and and learning more about the world uh, as I play. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It looks beautiful. It's really the, it it is, that is probably, I mean, I hate, I hate to say that, you know, we, we look at games superficially based just purely on their art, but in a lot of ways we do. Um, I mean, like, I mean, like it's a visual medium. Like no one goes to the museum is like, oh, you're looking at this painting superficially, just looking at it with your eyes, you know? Like I mean, something has to, you know, get you initially hooked and interested in the game. And I think the art style does a lot to do that. And, yeah. uh, and both this game and also Spearhead's previous game, Stories, the Path of Destinies, have very similar art styles. In fact, they may even be identical. I haven't looked at screenshots. Of- yeah, I mean, it's a popular art style. And honestly, I don't trust this art style anymore because like so many games have come out looking like this. And There, there are a lot game. of games, a lot of indie games that sort of try and do this bright, flashy art style. But this one really pulls it off. And it's yeah. there's absolutely zero performance issues, at least on my PC. Oh, yeah, it's all cel-shaded, right? That's... Yep. 
Um, yeah, like when I say I don't trust it, I mean like I don't see it and immediately assume the game's good. I see it and I'm like, oh, okay, a game that looks like that. I need to hear more to get interested. But you're, I might check it out. Since yeah, you, I mean, the, you said there's more to it for sure. The only reason I probably would have found this game is because I had played the previous game. And the only reason I played the previous game is because I literally ran into one of the devs for this game at pa- at PAX, at uh, First Stories, uh, like two years ago at, at uh, PAX East. Um, and they just, we struck up a conversation about the game. I wasn't even at their booth. Um, and I ended up going to their booth later because I just randomly ran into this guy. That's, that's so it's v- very serendipitous that has brought, uh, serendipity has brought me towards this franchise. Yeah. So Greg, what I'll, are you playing? I'll give it a shot. Um, I am playing a few things. Um, one of the, the, the one I wanted to talk about is I started playing Animal Crossing New Leaf again, which is a game that came out in 2012. And I bought it, I don't know, if, I think I bought it right when it came out. And yeah, I got it the day it came out, even though I had never played an Animal Crossing before. I had I was kind of like, I'd always been interested in the series. And then I kind of saw this was coming out. I was like, well, I might as well get in at the beginning of this one. And I played it like every day and for a year and got like all of the bugs, all of the fish. I did a, kind of a lot of achievements. And then once I felt like I'd kind of gotten everything, I stopped playing it. And I had booked like 500 hours at that point, which I am both proud and ashamed of. I'm not going to think about which, <laughs> which emotion I feel right now. You should now. be proud. Okay, good. I'm glad that, I'm glad that uh, you feel that way. Um, and I, in, the, in, the, in the years intervening, I've kind of been like, oh, I wish there was a new Animal Crossing game. I want to play Animal Crossing again. And right now, the Reddit community for Animal Crossing is like, Animal Crossing on Switch, is it going to be at E3? Is it going to be, at, when is it going to be announced? Uh-oh, on the website, they have a picture of a Switch and a picture of Isabel on the same page. Uh, is it a sign? And, um, and then I kind of, one day decided to just pick it up and start playing it a little bit. And I was like, well, there's nothing left to do, but I just walked around and talked to some villagers, and it was kind of nice because it's so relaxing and uh after like a stressful day at work or something, like this is the exact kind of thing I want to do. And I kind of realized like, I do still like this game. I still will play it. Um, But it's different when you're not trying to achieve everything, accomplish achievements, make a lot of money, min-max, get your house as big as possible. It's just like, just wandering around and like doing some random chores and listening to the music is nice too. I think I've kind of realized that like, this plays into this it's kind of like have you ever gone to like a restaurant and there's two things on the menu one of them is like your favorite thing that you've had before and one of them is the new thing that you haven't tried and then you like can't decide which of those two things to get like safe and favorite or like it feels like video games or the way i played them was always like only ordering something new every time and playing Animal Crossing now is like going to the same restaurant every Friday and getting the same sandwich. But it's nice. still it's it's still good. It's still good. Um, it's it, there's it, comfort and familiarity. Yeah, and I think that like as I've gotten older, uh, I'm I'm gonna be 35 in a week, uh, which is an age. Um, I've I've like I've realized that like I don't I, I like I don't appreciate those types of things enough and i want to appreciate like the old favorites more because like uh i don't know it's it's like i'm definitely too young to say i've done it all and seen it all because i definitely haven't but i've lived in this let's take the food example i've lived in the same apartment in the same neighborhood for six years like there isn't new restaurants to try so i do 
I do order my favorite uh, di uh, dish from the Mediterranean place like once a week, and like that's that's good. That doesn't. I, I don't have to like move to keep my life interesting. I mean, I think as as we get older and as we mature as as people, y you get an idea of what you like. You know what you like. Yeah, you learn your, you learn in yourself. And I I'll be honest in saying that I've never played an Animal Crossing game. It sort of to me externally without knowing much about it sort of falls in the sort of same vein as uh like stardew valley and harvest moon um without being more uh, sort of explicit i guess it's not quite explicitly about farming right yeah there's, there's no farming there's there's flowers right it's but it's it's the same sort of like chill out like low stake uh interactive adventure sort of thing yeah definitely it's um it's completely undirected um, they give you a bunch of systems and all of those systems are like in the, by themselves open-ended. You can decide which ones to engage with. Like some people, all they care about is making their town beautiful. And so they like go on discord and say, does anybody have any blue tulips? I need seven blue tulips to finish this path that goes from. So you, the... can, you can trade with other people. It has an online component. Um, yes, you can visit other other people's towns um and while you're there you can trade and do stuff together freely and the the disc there is a community on reddit and discord that's very very active still so people go on the and you're playing it on gamecube right like on an on an actual piece of oh game. no this is animal crossing new life new, oh, okay. new leaf this is the or as i like to say animal crossing no life uh it's on the <laughs> 3ds got it the gamecube one was uh the first one okay got it sorry well, i'm i'm i am 100 not up to speed with Animal Crossing. Yeah, and I'm not either because I didn't play any of the other ones. But um yeah, like you can just do whatever you feel like doing. And um one of the things that I'm I'm doing right now is like I never cared about you can go diving in the ocean and pick and like catch stuff on the bottom of the ocean. And I never cared about that when I first played. And because that was annoying. <laughs> I decided to get good at it and finish that. And now I have one more thing I haven't caught in the in the ocean. And it doesn't become available again until September. So in September, I will finish my deep sea diving, like completionist thing. Nice. And in the meantime, it's like, yeah, whatever else I want to do. So I really enjoyed getting back into the game and the community for it is amazing. So that really helps too. Yeah, I would love to. I feel like, again, as I've gotten older, I've sort of gained a new appreciation for experiences that make me feel at peace for yes. lack of a better term um like i've gotten really big into into like asmr and uh i've attempted to get into meditation although it's it's sort of uh i, I have difficulty with it but i digress there's only, there's only one way to get into meditation it's to do it right away mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're but, like oh i should meditate sometime it's like nope you can meditate right now <laughs> but um but i think yeah you know in a, in a world full of extremely intense experiences like PUBG and Fortnite and, you know, hardcore military sims like Arma yeah. um, and, and lots of, you know, just gaming experiences and entertainment experiences that are focused on violence. It's nice to find a little peace and sort of, you know, still engage in a, in a medium that you enjoy in, in a more relaxing, less stress-free way. Yeah, it's probably no coincidence that this happened around the same time I quit PUBG. Like... <laughs> 
I went from one end of the spectrum to the other. I think, yeah, I was yeah, going to say, I think it is fair to say that things like Animal Crossing and PUBG are at completely opposite. They they are literally the antithesis of each other. Yeah, but there's still there's still like there's still I think more in common than people take that than people assume. Oh yeah, we like could, we could talk all day about that. I think that's its yeah. own. That could be its its own podcast. Yeah. Um, all right, let's start a second podcast. <laughs> fork, 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 fork from here. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, Dungeons and Dragons? I would. Well, why don't why don't you lead us off? Okay. Um, why don't we set just the stage a little bit by saying that um, we we along with a couple of our friends have engaged uh, uh, in a in a new Dungeons and Dragons esque campaign. It's not specifically Dungeons and Dragons. It's actually a, a Pathfinder variant. If if I it's not it's not Pathfinder either. Oh, it's not. Okay. It's what? Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Right, 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 right. Which is, ooh, so edgy. Ooh, woman pain, so edgy. Oh, boy. Anyway, it's a tabletop <laughs> RPG, and I have had next to no experience, uh, at least firsthand, with tabletop RPGs. Um, Greg is certainly more of a veteran than I. Um, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my experiences as sort of a first-time player or a semi-first-time player. Before we do that... Why don't you set the stage um, for how tabletop RPGs and, and Dungeons and & Dragons and things like it um, uh, have influenced you and how, how they've, uh, and what, what your experience is uh, with that medium? Well, I started out from the very beginning, sometime when I was a young lad, probably a, a, an angsty teen, I assume. I was somewhere and I got a some kind of tabletop magazine and I didn't know what it was. I literally had no clue what it was. I this is probably around the time when I had a Nintendo Power that talked about Final Fantasy and I was like, this looks interesting. And then I rented Final Fantasy Six from like Blockbuster and was like, this is the greatest oh, thing of my life. You're really dating yourself right now. Whatever. I said how old <laughs> I was like five minutes ago. That's true. That's um, true. I, I remember those times five as well for the record. <laughs> Yeah, um, and so I, I basically was, that was my door into the, the world of role-playing. I had just no idea what it was before. Um, and so I picked up a magazine that had some art that looked like Final Fantasy, and that was basically my basis. It was, I have no idea what it was. Maybe it was a white dwarf. Probably not. I don't know. Because um, I guess that's more, that's more battle war games. But um, there was an article I remember talking about making props, and they, were, they would say, like, here's some props that your PCs might enjoy in your next campaign. And I didn't understand a word of that sentence. And I was just like on board with whatever they were talking about. I didn't know what a PC was. I thought maybe this was a personal computer game, um, which it isn't. Uh, it stands for player characters. And um, like the, the props they made were so cool. And I was, just, I was like, I need to figure out what this is. So I eventually figured out what Dungeons and Dragons was. And I had one neighbor who was also... Uh, nerdy enough to play this game. So we played a campaign with two people. I was, uh, you know, obviously a kid and didn't have a lot of money and Dungeons and Dragons source books are expensive. So I just made up a system and like wrote it down and printed it out on eight and a half by 11 paper. And uh, we had a great time. And then later I got into, I, I DM'd a D&D version two game. Later still I DM'd a Pathfinder game. I've only DM'd, I've like never actually played uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Without That's really funny. It's yeah. your, it's it is. Uh, I guess you found your calling. I found my calling. Like, I guess. I, it's I when it comes to tabletop is, RPGs. What my calling is is um, when I 
I'm writing the world guide for the campaign and I'm just like making up the world. That is actually the moment when I'm like, this is my calling. And it's not how I feel when I'm actually playing. Um, however, like playing is the like the, the, the fruition of the world creation to me. And that's what I get out of it. Um, this like creating a world and then having people engage with it. And ultimately, since I'm making the world up on the fly, what pe people ask questions like, what is this like in this world? And I have to make up an answer on the spot. So the players become participants in the world building, whether they, they might not know it because I might sound like I already had an answer to them, but really they are. And um, that is what I like about playing, honestly. Um, and when I'm, when I'm, I don't know, when I'm creating the world and I'm like drawing l little grid maps on uh, grid paper, graph paper and stuff like that's when I feel like this is my, my favorite thing in the world. And I've always toyed with the idea of making a source book or making a, a campaign and trying to get it published, but I, I've just never gotten all the way there. And part of what you need to do with that is if you do that is play test. And so I would need to have a game going, I think, to make it realistic too. Right. So let me ask you how, at least in the, the most recent uh, game that we've been playing together, the Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Is that right? Is that what it's called? Yep. Yep. Um, how much of the story content are you pulling from the source book and how much of it are you creating completely out of your own mind? And on top of those two things, how much room is there for players to influence the outcome of events? Is it strictly predetermined? <laughs> It's, uh, I, I don't I don't like the railroad. Um, I like to do players can do whatever they want. And it might it might not feel like that, especially when you're players who kind of do what I expect them to uh, a bunch. But there were some cases where uh, I made some on the fly decisions based on player behavior that are gone. I, like for my next campaign, I'm gonna be like, I didn't plan on this. So I'm gonna have to write my next uh, specifically. Remember when you all were getting arrested for coming into the town because yeah, you yeah. were you're super well armed and i was like i was like the basis for them getting arrested is that they're they look like they're outfitted uh in a, in a military in a military way that would look suspicious and then, one of the guys, and then one of them i don't remember eli's character was not at all he's just a dirty like street urchin looking guy and when he was like can i go and i was like well i think realistically they wouldn't give it care about him so now i'm going to write the next session with the him him not being arrested in mind and i'm going to design it for that it's interesting um, it's interesting how as a player you you have to you know you you sort of naturally begin to role play uh an individual character but as a dm you sort of have to role play every other npc that's in the game um, and yep. sort of, you know, internalize how any given character, uh, any NPC character re reacts to the player character. Yeah, and that feels pretty natural to me. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's a, a gift or, or whatever, but it, it, it feels like I just can decide very quickly, like, this is where this is the situation. This is what kind of person this is. And therefore, this is how they would react to it. And like that kind of just feels natural. And I think that... Um, that helps because you really want to keep things moving. And um, I know sometimes one of the reasons games end up on rails is because it's hard to adapt. But I think it's not interesting unless I have to adapt. So um, I, I, I say bring it on. Um, you asked earlier how much of the story am I making up? 
the only thing I've really taken, one of the source books for the system, it's not one of the rule books. It's, it's called Isle of the Unknown, and it kind of had this idea of a setting of an island with surreal monsters. And I bought that because like, the art was beautiful and it was really cool. Um, I kind of copied a lot of aesthetics from that for this like parallel universe that everybody visited. Um, mm -hmm. Just kind of to get things going. But I don't, uh, I think I'm always, I don't really look for specific elements. I look for inspiration and everything else besides that is, uh, you know, coming from the melon. Nice. So you sort of, I mean, it's, it's sort of the ultimate homage. It's sort of a, a, a collage of, would you say that it's a collage of, of various fantasy elements from just sort of, you know, books you've read, games yep. you've played, movies you've watched? Yeah. I'm a, I'm an, I'm a collector of inspiration. Um, I'm surrounded by books that I have that I, that I only got because flipping through them makes me feel that feeling of like, Oh wow. I, 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 I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to describe what inspiration is and maybe you can't, but um, the, the, basically a collection of what has inspired to me, inspired me in the past is what I bring to the table. I think that's really cool that you're able to sort of paint your own brush or paint your own painting, use your own brush, if you will. But at the same time, you're able to lean into sort of the more granular rules of an existing system. So you don't have to like decide like this is how armor points work and this is how um encumbrance works you can kind of you know let that that nitty-gritty rule making uh be predetermined for you but narratively you can kind of go wherever you want yeah but then again i'm a programmer and an engineer and i've made games before and already i want to start making changes to the system uh so the, it's scalable. The, system, the system we're trying uh I, I i started out with because it's very crisp and minimal they call it uh it's in the quote unquote old school category which is more like Dungeons and Dragons, not AD&D or any of the later editions. It's like simple, deadly, um, easy to learn. And that easy to learn was a big part of it to me because I don't want to... It's hard enough to get a... It's really hard to get a Dungeons and Dragons game going. Um, and I don't want to require people to read, you know, buy $40 rule books and spend an entire weekend reading and learning them. So this this system, I made a Google Doc with a summary of the rules to give to people. And that's only like... How many pages is that? It's like eighteen pages, maybe. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not bad. Yeah, and it's really useful to have that because all of the rules that we're playing by, and it's a full summary of the full game, so it's not like a subset. Um, anytime it really keeps the game moving faster. Like anytime someone has a question about the rules, it is a find and search on the laptop away. And I feel like we haven't had any. I don't think we've had any um, grind to a halt because of rules problems, and that was really what I want, but I'm already ready to add more to it. Um, one of the things, for example, is that there's very little character customization in the system. So I, I might, the first thing I want to try is seeing if uh, magic items can fill that role because that's, in other games, magic items end up being a huge part of what makes your character unique anyway, so why not just go with that? Um, but I need to come up with a good way to introduce them. And also the way Dungeons & Dragons has things like insight roles and uh, acrobatics checks that this system is lacking. And I kind of want to add those in somehow because that's really fun when somebody says, I'm going to do a backflip over the ogre's head and land on the platform. And like, I want to be able to say like, I don't want the answer to be no. I want the answer to be like, like here's the difficulty class I've decided on for that task. Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting how 
I, I have to compare it to a video game um, in a lot of ways and how obviously when you play a video game, there's code, there's math, there's all manner of things that the player doesn't recognize uh, as, as things that are happening when they interact with the game. And I rec- and, and to, to be able to play a game that isn't virtual, that's happening in the real world, that's sort of a more imaginary, more conceptual, um, I find it really interesting to, to look at those things and acknowledge that there's all this stuff happening in the background, all these rules, all these, uh, these dice throws um, that determine uh, how things turn out. I, I, I just, I, I, I like to see how this digital concept gets translated into an analog concept, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, or yeah, what, what every video game has is um, games like God of War are a good example. Sometimes there's a door you can't get through just because like, it's made of wood, and this one you can't hack apart with your axe for no reason. Or like this low fence I can't get over. Like, you know, that's the trope, isn't it? Um, right. Why, why can't my PC cross this two-foot high just, fence? Just looking at, like, looking at what the rules are and the idea that you sort of specifically have control over what those rules are is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that there's no, there's no fences in Dungeons & Dragons. If there's a two-foot fence and you say, I cross over the fence, the DM's responsibility is to decide what's on the other side of that fence. And as a player... That feels like you're in a limit. That that is a limitless world. Yeah, um, and th- and that's what I that's what I love about it. I I really enjoy that that feeling of freedom, um, and the open endedness that the tabletop RPG platform provides. Um, just sort of the idea that, you know, when you're playing a video game, um, and I'm, I'm I guess I'm sort of coming at this backwards because for a lot of people they experience tabletop RPGs before they experience video games because they were you know, more prolific before, uh, before video games became prolific. Yeah. So I'm looking at it sort of in reverse from a historical perspective. Um, in a video game, you know, you sort of look at the world and you under, you know, after playing it for an hour, you sort of understand the restrictions and you're like, well, I know that these are limitations of the engine and limitations of the way that I can interact with the environment. So I couldn't, you know, my imagination can only go so far in this virtual playground. Um, whereas, in this in this tabletop playground, I can sort of say or do pretty much anything, and there's probably some way for you as the DM to integrate that decision into the world. Yeah, and and my I feel that it's my responsibility for the answer to always be, um, not I can't do that or anything. It's just your character failed to do that yeah it's never it's never a limitation of the system it's a limitation of you and that is part of well your character um and that is part of why leveling up becomes more appealing because getting more powerful doesn't just mean you're killing stronger enemies it also means like you're going to get away with exploring the world in new ways like that is a reward for leveling up that it happens in video games too but it happens to a greater degree in tabletop games yeah, it's for me. It's sort of like being inside a novel that's being written in real time. Um, it's yeah, it's it's collaborative storytelling. Exactly, it's collaborative storytelling. It's 
learning about the world, learning about how your character fits into that world, developing a persona. Um, and I, I love the fact, at least in the way that you've done it, that I don't really have to think about the rules too much. You know, I have to pay attention to like what my HP is and like what my encumbrance level is. Um, but that's sort of in between things and sort of secondary to just sort of literally role playing and getting in and being inside that character's head and thinking about like how that character would respond to any given situation. Yeah. And a lot of people don't play Dungeons and Dragons that way. A lot of people do play it rules first. It's just not how I like to play. I like to play it story first. And thankfully, uh, we've got a, a group of people that seem to be into that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, like I was saying before that that's more analogous to a video game in the sense that when you play a video game, you're not thinking about, I mean, depending upon how you're playing the video game, and what your objective is, but in general, if you're playing the intention behind the single player narrative experience or even a multiplayer co-op experience is not that you're thinking about how the mechanics of the world and how the code uh, affects your interaction you're just experiencing it from a purely narrative point of view or at least i would assume that that is the intention of the developer on a first run through of the game and that's and that's sort of how i look at uh at least the the experience that you've created uh so far so do you use an electric toothbrush <laughs> no i don't well let me tell you about quip oh god <laughs> Quip is the first <laughs> dentist. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Let's talk about Destiny. So Destiny Warmind came out a week ago-ish. Uh, when did it come out? I feel like we should know that because we're uh, doing a podcast. and I can tell you. Knowing things about uh, our content. It came, out, it came out actually almost two weeks ago on May 8th. May 8th. Oh, my God. So long already. Um, and this is the expansion they got our our clan to play destiny again after many moons of not playing destiny i think we all played we're super stoked for destiny 2 and the first couple months of destiny 2 seemed really promising and then it really fell flat on its face yeah i think so before we talk more about warmind um just to be very explicit here let's let's talk about destiny 2 and the lead up to uh, it's subsequent pieces of DLC. Allow us to set the stage. I feel like Destiny 2, at first glance, like you said, had a lot of promise, and it seemed to address a lot of the problems that Destiny 1 had. Um, lots of small quality of life features that made the game uh, better. It immediately felt more rewarding to play. It felt more accessible. But I think we didn't realize at the time that by making it more accessible and more rewarding, it was sort of taking away some of the secret sauce that made us come back to destiny over time and, and sort of diminished the grind in a way that we didn't immediately realize until we had sort of exhausted all of the content that was there in the new game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I really like hearing other people feel that way because in Destiny 1, I kind of felt like some of the things people complained about, they were taken for granted a little bit. Like everyone complained about the story in Destiny 1. The way the main story was told like, was super flawed. And on paper, what they did in Destiny 2 for the story was uh, directly addressing that. Uh, the, the, an explicit story with a beginning, middle, and end about a, char a 
with some characters that had clear motivations and dialogue. More, more, um, more traditional storytelling, yeah. if you will. And the thing I liked about the storytelling, well, the thing I liked about the story in Destiny 1 was that, like, um, I liked how, I liked the, the lore, I liked the tone, I liked the mysteriousness. I think that they could um, have made the storytelling more coherent without uh, compromising on that stuff so much. Um, and I, I think that the the Destiny Two like main storyline kind of like took a, a complete about face and lost a little bit of what I liked about Destiny One. Um, and I think I would be more hesitant to come back with that opinion if it wasn't for the fact that I think they, because um, I'm not sure if it's if I'm like trying to have my cake and eat it too, you know. But I think they found the balance pretty well in Warmind of like the story makes sense, but it does have a. a, a, a like a tone that I enjoy more and it feels like a little more mysterious. And, um, and I think it's not, it's not too ham handed. Uh, like I think the destiny Two main storyline could have been, uh, was at times. Oh yeah. It, it sort of just to sort of, I feel like it just sort of hand destiny Two hands everything to you in, in a, in a silver platter and in a way like both metaphorically and and maybe not literally but uh at least directly literally (laughs) it's just like here are some here are the rewards um here here is the story uh it's very plain it's very straightforward um and in in you can argue both ways that's that's in some ways better than destiny one which had an extremely convoluted story that didn't really have like a clear villain. It didn't really have a clear beginning, middle, and end from a narrative standpoint. Yeah, um, it, it was it was it was sliced and diced in development, and it, it's clear how that went wrong. But but no. that but that ambiguity sort of made you want to discover more of the underlying lore. Um, yeah, everyone wanted to know more about the the, the stranger. Right, and when I remember at some point, uh, Destiny said. We're done with that character. We've moved on, and people are disappointed. And so, you know, it's, I don't think that like what's there was necessarily bad. It's that it wasn't, well, it wasn't. It didn't feel complete. Yeah, it, I mean, you you can tell that it suffered from some serious reshuffling, and we and we now know that Bungie sort of had one plan for the original narrative Destiny One, and then totally shuffled it up and, and reorganized it sort of at the 11th hour or at least that's yeah. what i've heard who knows that's what i've read too i mean that, yeah. that's 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 pretty that's i don't think anyone's disputed it <laughs> yeah um so destiny 2 sort of looks at a lot of those sort of broad strokes destiny 1 made and i think in a lot of ways it looks at a lot of the things that vanilla destiny 1 made um before any of the subsequent improvements and subsequent D- dlc packages came out and, and tries to improve on those um and as a result of that it sort of ignored a lot of the improvements that like the Taken King um, and other uh, additions to, to Vanilla Destiny 1 uh, added to the game. So as an end result, Destiny 2 gets a whole lot of shit wrong. Hmm. Um, and, and there's the elephant in the room, which is Eververse. Yeah. I think, um. I think that just... That that was the shit cherry on top of a shit Sunday. <laughs> yeah, and like I think so much has been said about uh, microtransactions ruining games in the last year or so that I don't think we need to talk speak to it too much. 
Um, but basically, I... And what was it? Was it Shadow of War? That was the one that really, really... Oh, no. It was Shadow of War was a big one. It was... was the, it Shadow the, of the War, the new one? The, the one that, that really made headlines was Star Wars Battlefront 2. Yeah, that was probably the most high-profile one. Yeah. And also one of the most egregious ones, although... Oh, it was horribly egregious. The, at, least, the, at least the way it was planned, the actual execution, uh, they ended up... Uh, pulling, I think, most of the game's microtransactions before it like went uh, to a full retail release because of all the backlash and like the, oh, the yeah. releases, the, the early releases and betas and so forth. And uh, and so and so, I hope that the you know the Eververse problems in Destiny Two are a um, you know part of an experience that the game industry had that we have moved on from. I hope. I hope so too. And and for me. You know, I, as as most people who play video games too, I look at at microtransactions and I think that's you know they, it's not a good thing for the games industry and from the player experience standpoint. At the same time, I understand like AAA games are getting more and more expensive, and they have to figure out a way to continually monetize these experiences in order to actually fund their production. But at the same time, um, I think I think for me that. The, the big problem is not the the existence of microtransactions themselves as as a as a concept and as an uh, a means of monetizing a game further past the initial point of purchase but just how disingenuous and deceitful Bungie has been about uh microtransactions within destiny and how they relate to the the math um behind leveling up i mean i don't want to like yeah, their their communication was was piss poor. Um, I I don't want to detract from the fact that I also think that, um, in many cases these microtransaction models are like predatory in that they, um, make a lot of money from kids who get addicted to gambling. You know, like it's oh yeah, it's super not cool on a at at face value. The there there's, I'm sure there are focus groups and research organizations within the gaming industry that are purely dedicated to looking at how, you know, they retain gamers and how they uh, get the maximum amount of profit from any individual player and what psychological um, techniques they can utilize to, uh, to maximize that profit. Yeah. One of the, this is one of the big problems with like right now, the business world is getting more and more data driven and Amazon is a, uh, a poster child for that and one of the problems is that if you do things just based on data and you, you you do something because it works and you don't understand why it works necessarily sometimes why it works is because it's shitty and you you can't be purely data driven because there's also a social responsibility um in the way you run your business and um i think that that challenge has come to the forefront in the games industry because like people have um you know, said it uh, as 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 curtly as I just said it. This is a, a pro- this is a problem of introducing gambling to kids. That is um, something that like we need to deal with in a in a way that is more than just like economics. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is another subject that we could discuss uh, at length. Uh, on yeah, let's, let's 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 move on from yeah. that. Like I think <laughs> um, I think one one of the things that bothers me in Destiny 2 that I don't know if it bothers everybody is the the, the the what I call coolness creep. Um in games there's this idea of power creep where like 
the new expansion comes out and they give you new powers that obviate the powers in the previous expansion. Um, and in video games, they often have the, the problem of this where like the new expansion has to have rewards that are cooler than the ones in the previous because like uh, in, in Destiny and a lot of games now, what you spend money on, what your rewards are, are aesthetics. Like when you win the raid, you get cool gear that makes you look awesome. And in order to make the new raid compelling, it, it has to the stuff has to look cooler than the stuff you had before, and so things have to just keep getting cooler and cooler. And now we're at the point where people are just so blinged out that it's changed what the game looks like significantly. Um, you know this has happened with other MMOs too, like in World of Warcraft. It's like, why do the shoulder pads keep getting bigger and bigger? <laughs> like, they're so big now. <laughs> um, and in Destiny, Destiny's version of that is like, why is why are you iridescent? And, um, you know, it, it changes the tone of the game because um, Destiny has kind of always been a about a post-apocalyptic space future um, where the, old, the armor in the first game was pretty... In the tone of the first game, it was really gritty, um, and I think that because gritty is not desirable for rewards, the tone of the game is changing as a result of this. And I don't know how to address that. I can't think of any games I've addressed it well, but I just know that it, it kind of bugs me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like part of that is just sort of the sort of competing aesthetic uh, languages that are in Destiny. In one hand, it's like it is post-apocalyptic and things are supposed to be desperate. And like, this is, you know, the last city of humanity. Um, but at the same time, it also has this very sort of like high fantasy element where, um, everything is very fantastical and almost supernatural. Um, and those, those two sort of design languages kind of compete with each other, um, to different extents throughout the, uh, from both destiny one and destiny two. And they pull it off really well. I'll give, I'll give them credit. Like, they, they they do um, fantasy space opera very well. Yeah, and I and, and and I don't mean to say that I have any problem with it. I think the design and art of Destiny are is probably the most successful and consistent element of the entire series. Yeah, and and then so and also in Destiny two, the PvP I felt got really bland because they got rid of special weapons, which I think people complained about because it could they could feel unfair, but also. By removing some of the the weirdness, you just got really it, the the strategies got bottlenecked to like just shoot better, um, and they also went from six v six to four v four. And as we've kind of found, the fewer players there are, the more intense it is. So it felt like PvP kind of lost some of its chillness. Yeah, every every match is intense, even in the non-competitive modes, um, yeah. and you you're you're sort of forced to work as a team, um, which, you know, in one, on one hand can be a good thing, but on the other hand, if, if you are, you know, not playing in a fire team and you're playing by yourself with three other players that you're not communicating with in destiny one, you could kind of ride that wave a little bit and have some freedom to perhaps carry the game just based on your own merit. Whereas in destiny two, if, if you're not in extremely close connection with your team and very carefully managing your positioning and your tactics you're screwed everything is team shot destiny had a medal called lone wolf which was finish a team game with the highest score and no assists like they rewarded you for playing that way and they they definitely don't anymore yeah it's 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 a very different approach to um to pvp and 
it'll be interesting to see how Warmind changes that, especially with, I, be- I believe, next week's Iron Banner, which is bringing back 6v6. Yeah, we're, I'm going to have to try it and see how it goes. That may have um, happened already. I can't remember if, if that's been a thing. I think, I think it did. I'm yeah, not, I, I haven't played it yet since in, in Destiny 2. All right. So, so Curse of Osiris, uh, I felt like, didn't benefit from the initial like feeling of success that Destiny 2 had on launch. And Des- Curse of Osiris just felt like the, kind of the low of the, of the series so far. Yeah, I, I put it on the level of almost maybe even worse than the dark below which was the first i love the dark below but i mean i guess the only thing i loved about it was the raid yes i the, the raid was the saving grace of the dark below i i can't remember it i mean i have a hard time remembering any, any of the specific plot points of any of destiny one now but uh, <laughs> to be uh, honest the, the only things i remember about dark below were there was something where you had to go kill knights in the cosmodrome over and over and over and yeah. over yep and so the story content of Dark Below was Omnigol and Killing Knights in the Cosmodrome, and that's all I remember. Right. However, that raid was probably one of my high points of uh, my video game career in terms of how, like, I love, like, uh, I was talking about earlier how I love the tone of Destiny. That raid nailed it. It was a great raid. Tone. Crota was it, a like, fantastic the, the raid. music was so good, the aesthetics, the fact that they were silent the whole time lend, lended to it. I think there, there's no story content in raids, and your team needs to communicate, so that's why they have no chatter. But um, they they told that they did some storytelling through visually, like you're going through into a hole in the moon, and it's dark, and then you find a, mi- a mysterious fantasy palace, and then they, you find a throne basically, and like they, you you can tell what's going on over the course of that raid. Like it's really good, um, understated storytelling. They, I think, all of the raids. I mean, it, any raid within Destiny ends up being the pinnacle of, of storytelling and player experience. Well, for the, I don't know about Destiny 2, though. That's probably true. I would say Destiny 1, it was certainly true. Um, yeah. des- in, in, I think the fact that all Destiny 2 raids, um, and to be honest, I've only played the original Leviathan raid in Destiny 2, um, but just just the knowledge that the uh, the subsequent uh, raid layers that have come out are taking place in a similar environment sort of just diminishes the, the perceived individuality and, 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 uh, the idea of original content. Uh, right, I want to just absolutely shit on Chris Osiris for one minute. Do it. The, the, the public area is awful there's no sparrows. There's a pain in the ass to get around because it sucks. It's obstacle in the middle. It's tiny. You blew through the interesting, areas really quickly in missions um and this was this is like the ultimate exercise in repetitiveness because the missions are super repetitive the infinite forest was designed to be um like a unique experience each time but if you told me that every time i went through the infinite forest is exactly the same i'd believe you it just ends up being the most repetitive uh expansion so far you just repeat the missions to farm rep and um the destiny 2 destiny 2's original model for rep was like you just do stuff until the bar fills up and then you get a reward and you don't um it wasn't a guaranteed what you were going to get they've they've improved on that since then but when curse of osiris came out this was like i just felt no motivation to do any of their content yeah in fact i was playing um through a couple of the heroic adventures on mercury the other day and 
it seems like pretty much every piece of content, whether it be an, uh, an adventure, a strike, a story mission, has you go through the infinite forest first. <laughs> and it's just and like, it's, it's just like, it's, why it's, am I doing this? This is just like filler content to make this seem like it's more substantive, but really it's just like... And it's sad because it probably was hard to develop. I'm sure um, it was. I'm sure someone like, slaved over it. Yeah, they did. And it, it looks really cool. But ultimately, like... The thing that's changing is the enemy types, but those already change in Destiny. Like all of the strikes, it's kind of random which enemies you're going to fight now. So that's not novel. And then the terrain is a little different each time. But again, like I don't even notice that. Um, all the terrain changing means is that every now and then I might fall to my death because I'm not paying attention. Like, that yeah, doesn't. <laughs> like it's just one, it's another experience when you're playing, at least when you're playing with friends in Destiny, where you can just. You're literally just absorbed in your own conversation and going through the motions like shooting bad guys without really thinking about, you know, it's not even high level bad guys you're fighting. So it's not even a challenge. It's just like a bunch of ads we have to get through. Shanks with yellow health bar is so scary. Yep. Like these are in my way of getting to the objective that's going to get me your reward. Uh, The door will open when I shoot the boys. Yep. Um, And that's, you know, that's fine. You know, many of Destiny's experiences are built around that, but... The fact that it's just this like extremely rote experience with without any like there's not even any like real narrative like back and forth between uh, like your ghost and and any other characters during this point. It's just like this is literally just filler content. So these missions feel longer. Yeah. And I, I keep like wanting to correct you when you say filler, but like it, it is filler from our experience as players, although um, the the. the it's definitely not filler from the develop developers sure, sure, standpoint sure. because like they could they could have if filler is the the criticism is that it was made cheaply and I guess like it's really it's really unfortunate I feel bad for them that like they did something really interesting and new and it just didn't work. Um, it was a good da- I, I I could you know I can appreciate it on paper, but yeah, the, but the execution too. just leaves. Cool. Yeah, it sounds cool. And it's and a cool the thing concept. that we imagined, the thing that we imagined before we did it, that's what they imagined too. They just, yeah, that's what they wanted, and just didn't work. But oh well. So so Warmind. It's it seems good. It does. It it, it makes me conscious, uh, cautiously optimistic for Destiny in a way that I haven't felt since it uh, since Destiny Two came out. The first thing I liked about it was, um, well, one. The it's I was a little unsure of going to a planet we've been to before as a setting, um, but the area is really cool. I love um, exploring that, and they also created content where you're encouraged to explore and wander around and really take in the the space they've created um, in a way that you weren't with Osiris. And um, even though like Mercury was such a unique and new place. Um, the the Mars setting in Warmind is just as unique and interesting, and you're also given motivation to experience it fully. And I, that's my favorite part of this expansion so far. Yeah, I, I feel like the the narrative content in Warmind is certainly a step up from what we got in Curse of Osiris. Um, but beyond that, I feel like the the uh, open world area in in Mars is just a much more interesting environment. Certainly it's larger, and I think that contributes to it. But it has, uh, as we described when we were planning out the show, uh, a Dreadnought-esque mystique 
Um, yeah. So that right, dreadnought esque mystique. Dreadnought esque mystique. Yeah. You can or quote a dread, that. A, a, a dreadnisk. A dreadnisk. Um, in, in the sense that it um, it feels like an environment that I want to explore, that I want to dive into, that I want to look into the nooks and crannies of. And you're given tasks that sort of encourage you to do that. Uh, the, you know, in the same way that we had, um, uh, what were they called in uh, the, no, the Titan King? Calcified uh. Fragments? Yes, and the same way that we had things like calcified fragments, we have that sounds a little gross now. I think about us. it. We have memory fragments in um, in uh, in Warmind, and much less gross. Much less gross, um, and it just it sort of gives you a reason to to dive into the, the nooks and crannies of the world and and really uh, get to know it. In fact, I would say that uh, I probably know Mars. I know Hellas Basin better than any of the existing. Uh, open world environments the destiny 2 has brought out so far yeah and i think that fast traveling has made me know the new areas a little bit less because you don't have to go around them as much um but in in this expansion you're exploring on foot even though sparrows are available is uh actually compelling another thing i like about Warmind is that they brought the grind back i think this was another case where they threw the baby out with the bathwater in destiny 2 they wanted to make everything rewarding and they took away having an end game they have to grind for. And like honestly, I think a little there's a little bit of truth in like when everything is rewarding, nothing is rewarding. Um you need it's kinda like the concept of flow and grit, where flow is like you should enjoy the moment to moment experience of uh shooting the man's. And then grit is the like you're also working toward a long-term goal, which takes a little bit of determination. And that's a, a different kind of reward when you finish that. And I think uh, Destiny as a shooter has a good flow. It's the moment-to-moment experience of playing Destiny is good. But it's not, you know, it's based on, it, it's it's not at all, it's something we've experienced for a long time now, especially if you count Halo. And so, like, that's not enough by itself. So I think bringing the grind back, um, in a in a you know in a even-handed way and if even-handed isn't a phrase i'm still standing by it i think it is is okay <laughs> um uh it's the right amount of grind it's like okay if i do this i'll get this reward um and if i sit down to play for an hour i'll have a good time and i'll probably get something out of it at the end and i'm working my way toward a longer goal where like okay i'm gonna now i'm high I need to get gear so I can do heroic strikes. I need to do heroic strikes so that I can do the raid. And I like that progression. Yeah, I think I think it's a good example of... I mean, I think Destiny Destiny 2, in my mind, uh, is an experience that looked at the sort of vanilla original Destiny and tried to make a lot of changes to that experience based on just sort of the, the original conception of Destiny 1. And failed to integrate a lot of the subsequent changes that further uh, progressed versions of Destiny Two introduced. Um, yeah, and 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 I feel like the like the rise of Iron, like the final incarnation of Destiny One, really had this great balance between grind um, and reward. And yeah. Destiny Two took the looked at the original version of destiny one that was horrendously grindy to a fault and just yeah. sort of went in the polar opposite direction and completely ignores this 
sort of I think very stable middle ground that later iterations of Destiny One created. Yeah, and now we're finally the... we're finally getting back towards that balance, and I, I think I think uh, yeah. we're, we're heading more Pretty. toward that 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 good that good good balance between grind and reward. It, it seems like when. Destiny worked for years to refine itself to what it made it out to be. I don't think they, and by, when I say they, I don't even know who I'm referring to, but it, it seems like they didn't realize how good they had it in terms of where the game had gotten. And I think um, every, everyone's realizing that now. Like, Destiny ended up being in a, a really good game. And it, if, it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And now we're kind of, hopefully we fin- fin- finished that readjustment. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that Warmind brought that I didn't even realize we that I wanted. Uh, they fixed exotics. I had no idea how much that was going to matter to me. Oh yeah, I think, and th- and this isn't just Warmind. This is just like for a lot of players who who haven't purchased Warmind, there are a lot of things that even just the updates to Destiny have introduced. Oh sure, yeah. Um, the the fact that uh, I think even I think really for me the biggest thing is the exotics. Like exotics were always sort of like the pinnacle of what you wanted to achieve in destiny the, 1 the, the ultimate reward the ultimate reward and destiny 2 vanilla just showered you in them and didn't make them feel special um and oh, man. And, and 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 on top of that the actual usability of those weapons the weapons themselves didn't really feel particularly exotic they just they felt you know Potentially, you know, the art design was unique, but the actual way they performed and played didn't really feel that unique. And Destiny, yeah. the latest update to Destiny 2 has really done a lot to make those weapons feel um, unique and and powerful in a way that I don't feel like I have, uh, in, in a way that I haven't experienced since Destiny 1. Exo- exotics are a good reward because they let you break the game. Yeah, exactly. Excellent, excellent way of describing it. And the the, pol- the polish with with how cool they are is obviously like that, that's icing on the cake. And don't get me wrong, I I think a cake without icing would be kind of crappy. So that's I'm not meaning to diminish <laughs> how, how how important that is, but um, it's not enough by itself. You can't just eat icing from the tub; you'll get sick. Yeah, I mean, you can still do it. There's 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 innumerable things we could go into with uh with how Destiny has improved since Warm Mind has come out. And with eating icing. And with eating <laughs> I liked the ending of the story where, uh, and I think like what, uh, spoiler warning, skip ahead, if whatever. Um, at the end of the story in Warmind, you meet Rasputin and he has his like, I'm a real boy moment. Um, and I don't think what happened there story-wise was that interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a satisfying ending. Like, I'm like, oh, this, is, this puts a bow on it and I like it. Um, but the way that they executed it, like the way the voice was and the like, way the room looked and the way they had the translator, like that all came together to feel really, really cool. It was nice to have this sort of MacGuffin entity that we've known about since the very beginning of Destiny 1 um, become, you know, more of a, a realized presence in the game. Um, Although I don't think it's really going to get realized because the traveler waking up sure hasn't seemed to matter very much. Yeah, there, it's true that that Destiny 
has all of these sort of nebulous concepts that it dips its toes into in every particular piece of narrative content without really getting into like what they are and what they might, uh, how they might affect the universe, uh, at large. Um, and this is just in, in many ways, this is just another one of those, but it's, it's still a cool callback and at least fleshes it out a little bit more than what we've seen in the past. So do you think you're going to keep playing destiny? I, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, I will say that this game this expansion for destiny succeeds in making me want to play destiny again, which is something I haven't felt the urge to do mm-hmm. in a long time in, in many months. Um, yeah. So in that respect, it's a step in the right direction. Um, but the question I think is how long is that feeling going to last? You know, eventually yeah. I'm going to play all the new content. I'm going to, we're going to play the new raid layer. We're going to max out our light at some point. Um, yeah or power as they call it now. Um, so I think, I, I, I think we have to call it light because we're old school. It gives us, it gives us credibility. Heavy, heavy ammo, light level. Yep. Heavy ammo and light level. Well, it's not called heavy ammo. It's, I know, I know it's not, but for a second I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, I, I think it's, it's a game that I definitely wouldn't keep playing by myself. It's, it's, it's not yeah. interesting enough. Um, the story is interesting enough, isn't interesting enough. The concepts aren't interesting enough for me to play it as a solo experience. And I don't think uh, it's designed to exist that way in many respects. No, not at all. Um, but I, I think for me to keep playing it, it needs to reach critical mass amongst the, the clan. And I, that's not fully in my control. It's that's absolutely true. And I, and I think for it to reach critical mass within our clan or any clan, it really, it needs to sink a hole in one at this point. Um, mm. It, uh, Bungie needs to buy a whole shitload of goodwill from its player base, uh, given, given the problems it's had uh, over the last year or so. Um, and this fall's uh, expansion, and certainly Destiny 3, needs to they need to be really really incredible experiences or else i i think anything short of that is is not going to be enough to write the ship i think the raid is going to make it a make it a break it for our group then because if that's a thing that keeps you coming back and the raid has to be really good for that for us to go through the effort of getting six people together to do it um and then keep like I could see, I think I see two outcomes for us. It's either we try the raid once and fail, and it's not cool enough for us to keep trying, or we keep trying until we beat the raid, and that's like the tipping point for if Destiny keeps going. Yeah, it it needs to have, in my mind, sort of three things. It needs to have a story that makes me invested in the universe. Um, it needs to have rewards that are balanced in the sense just like we've talked about before that it needs to be um a, a perfect balance between or a semi-perfect balance between reward and grind and won't settle for anything less than perfect <laughs> anything less than perfect and it just it generally the, and then there's sort of i think a third thing um that's more intangible that's just 
do I do I want to play this game? Do is do I feel invested enough in the first two things to want to keep coming back? Yeah, it's the it's the aggregate of everything. Yeah. Like um the and and it's such a ultimately it's it's such a, a delicate balance that falling on other side one side or the other of playing versus not playing. Yeah. It, so many factors go into it but it ends up being just manifesting as a feeling of I got home from work, what do I want to do right now? I mean, Bungie's created a game that strives for a really, really difficult balance. Um, it, 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 it needs to be so many different things to so many different people that it's almost impossible to try and satisfy uh, every need at once. And yet that's sort of what it has to do. Well, I don't, I think that if you read the the forums about what people are asking for it seems like they have to do a lot um but like is it just the vocal minority i think i think it they have to figure out what really matters yeah um and what really matters isn't do everything what really matters is do the most important things um but that's not easy yeah it's not easy to know there's there's always going to be people that are going to look at any given change and any given uh, new implementation of an, an existing uh, piece of content and they're going to complain. They're going to say, this is better or this is worse and it's impossible to please all the people all the time. Well, if we don't end up playing Destiny 2 long term, I'm going to have to find a way to convince people to play Final Fantasy 14 with me. I don't know how I'm going to pull that off. I don't think anybody cares. There's also uh, Borderlands 3 on the horizon. Uh, I don't know why. I just I don't like Borderlands. And there's, I can't put my finger on why not. I mean, it's good. And on paper, I feel like I should like it. But I don't know. It just doesn't draw me in. I think you just have to... Uh, it, I, I, I felt the same way about Borderlands when I first started playing Borderlands. And it took a little bit of time for me to really sink my teeth into it and, and feel like... Oh, okay. I get it. Well, perhaps that's something uh, we'll have to have Lindsay talk to you about because she is oh, she yeah. is a staunch yep. advocate of Borderlands. In fact, this is a this is a teaser for some future episode, yeah. hypothetically, maybe. Especially Don't once we we know more about what Borderlands Three or whatever it's called actually is. Does it have a release date? It is not even officially announced. Well, I mean, I guess it's 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 like sort of announced, but we don't know. I think Borderlands has acknowledged that, or sorry, that Gearbox has acknowledged that they're working on a Borderlands 3, but whether or not it's going to be called Borderlands 3, what kind of game experience it's going to be, we, we don't know anything about that. It's going to be an iOS and Android game. Presumably um, it will be in the vein of previous Borderlands games, but even yeah. that we don't know for sure. Yeah. They're probably watching Destiny 2 very carefully. Oh, they have to. They have to. Yeah. Um, anything else that we wanted to cover? Uh, I think I think that about without without opening up a whole new can of con- conversation worms, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, all of the we finished all the worms that we opened. Uh, let's not waste worms. We're not gonna eat the leftovers. We're too full to open another can. Yeah, so I've, let's had, I've had not, so many waste. worms. I'm uh, Peace Beard on Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. My name is Greg, and on the internet you can find my content, and you can look at it and say this is okay. <laughs> You can be you can be bemused by it. Hmm. Um, my name is Matt Smith. Um, 
I am uh, Smith123 on Twitch and Ma underscore Smith on Twitter. I have a YouTube channel, but the name is too long to articulate here. Um, we got to get you the SEO. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get on that at some point. The tiny URL. Yeah. Our, our theme song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. We want to thank you again for listening. And this is Craig and Matt signing off from the black hole at the center. In this episode, we're going to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it, do it, do it. Keep it perfect. <laughs> 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 <laughs>